previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. Is there a line on that? Is like, is it a make it rain line with the girl from DraftKings? You know, is there a line on how long you can go? What's the over under? You know, it's a back and forth between how long can I go and how long can the hair product hold out? You know, I've got this thing of hair goop that I use. And, you know, the longer the hair, the more the goop. And it's really a race against time. Yeah, I don't have those problems. I used to. Oh, I'm but sorry. But I don't anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I've got a career. You know, I'm all right. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All right, let's start with the fact that our friend Ron Flatter from Las Vegas sent me a text last night, and it said, I'm coming uh, to the uh, BWI DMV LSMFT, which tickled me because you have to be old enough to know that LSMFT means lucky strike means fine tobacco (laughs) when they used to advertise for that in the 1950s and 60s. So Flatter said, love to take you and Michael to dinner. On Thursday, and I said, I'm, I'm unavailable. I'm really sorry. You know, I'd, and he said, well, maybe next time. But we like Ron Flatter a lot, and he knows a lot about a lot of stuff, and I'd love to have done it. But Yeah, and I feel terrible now because I'm looking back through text messages, and I see the, uh, the unread dot, and so I'm sorry, Ron. I will text you back. Oh, you, you, you got the same message? I did. Yeah, I got yes. it last night. I texted him right away. So we thank Ron Flatter for that. Um, th- this is... I want to say something now that is not going to get me particularly in trouble, but but I am conflicted on what I'm going to say. This has to do with the sort of wake of the motorboat and Tyler Skaggs. Tyler Skaggs is the Angels pitcher who died a few years back of a drug overdose. Yes. And it turned out in through the investigations that he was having drugs given to him by people who worked for the California Angels. And Matt Harvey just was suspended 60 days for having supplied Tyler Skaggs with a particular drug. And I, I, I understand the law and I understand responsibility. There is a certain nuance here, though, that I think needs to be, and not to change the sentences on any level, but a certain nuance that needs to be understood to see how something like this could happen. The employee has gone to jail. I have lost track of his name. He has gone to jail in the uh, Tyler Skaggs case. And I am not going to in any way endorse giving somebody drugs. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to say that when you're an employee of a team, and Tyler Skaggs is one of the players on this team, and a good player and a high-level pitcher, you might automatically feel at your level, I got to keep this guy happy. I don't really want to do this, but, you know, I could lose my job if a player goes to management and says, this guy's a bum, and then it doesn't give the details of it on any level. You know, so I understand there was pressure on that guy. Matt Harvey is a teammate. He's a teammate. I think anybody would stand up and say these drugs are terrible. But the relationship between teammates may create a certain nuanced factor here that sort of persuades them not to necessarily do the right thing all the time. Um, Again, I'm not saying these sentences are wrong on any level, and I'm not saying that anything these people did was right. 
But I'm saying that there is, you know what I mean? There's like a personal dynamic that goes on here sure. between teammates and between employees and everything like that. And somebody could feel, boy, I, I don't want to do this, but maybe I have to do this. There could be that conflict there. Or do you disagree with that? No, I, I think you bring up what is so difficult about this. And I think as you zoom out, you try and look at, okay, what are the outcomes? You're looking at jail time and you're looking at a 60 game suspension, yeah. which is essentially 60 days. And on the other side, you're looking at loss of life. So, yeah. uh, you know, relative the scale of that, you see where, what weighs heavier. So you're just trying to come to some answer while not while not sort of final or satisfying, gives you some closure here. But in, you're then breaking this down into the hierarchy or the sort of org chart dynamics that it, that exists everywhere. Uh, the very clear sort of top to bottom, employer to employee, what is your the, the direct chain of command? The power relationship. Uh, I think what becomes harder to do is say, when does that shift from being um, sort of that, that org chart top down to somebody who is operating outside of the rules of their job? And that's where it becomes, is this on the level of friend to friend or is this sort of in that in between? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit, again, it's a little bit more nuanced than I think you necessarily see when you look at it to begin with. Eric Kay is the name of the fellow. Uh, with the California Angels, who's in, I believe he's in jail. Uh, I yeah, I think he's, he's or maybe he's on, appealing. The, the the judge I think just rejected it in a, a, a new trial no, for him. Yeah, I he's, think he's facing a minimum. He's going of 20 to jail. Years, yeah. And and in this particular case, um, Tyler Skaggs, from everything that I've read, um, knowingly, willfully, eagerly wanted this stuff, and reached out to obviously teammates, obviously employees. You know, I, it's it's not one of those things where they hooked him on it in order to take advantage of him. At least it doesn't seem that way to me. This is just a high-profile example of another wrinkle where you're looking at, you know, medical systems, practices, individuals who are trying to pump these drugs into... There are, there are uh, manufacturers of these drugs who are being fined billions of dollars and going to jail. Yeah. You know, and going to jail. I think everybody would say it's a scourge, you know, on, on America. Absolutely. All of these pain-killing drugs. Anyway, I just thought I would bring some of that up. Um, I have one other thing to say. Well, the Nats disappointed me as always. A lot of clutch hitting. They don't hit the ball at all. Did any of your pitchers give up five home runs in one inning? No, no, um, no, but yeah, there's no, but (laughs) five home runs in one (laughs) inning, Evaldi, that's really, truly terrible. Yeah, it's just a Cruz was a big threat as you're getting ready to trade him in July. Nice strikeout. Bases loaded. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't appear to be working out so far. At least he swung. The Nats are going, whoever is good is oh, yes. leaving. Yes. They're being, they'll be sold. They'll be sold in but July. Not to go June back to July. the Barry, Barry point, but so last night before bath time, the boys are running around our living room. The game is on silent in the background, trading positions as they, as they pantomime baseball, hits, plays, running the bases as Josh Bell, Victor Robles playing the outfield in Juan Soto. And they couldn't be happier. That's great. That's good for them. Those Victor the, Robles actually the hit the ball moments. well last night. He hit the ball well. There's one other thing I wanted to get to. Well, I could talk about the hockey results, but I don't know the hockey results. Wilbon, of course, no longer likes hockey because the Blackhawks aren't any good. Right. So he's given up on hockey. This is <laughs> how his mind works. Something happened yesterday that we talked about on the PTI show that I want to talk about now. And I started out the copy that I wrote about it. And this is about how the Carolina Hurricanes are not selling tickets to anybody who's a New York Ranger fan by just denying the ability, given the billing address of your credit card, to buy their tickets. They're not doing it. And my first three words 
I forgot what they were, but it ended in goober. Um, small town provincial goobers working for the Carolina Hurricanes are preventing New York Rangers fans from getting tickets. They don't sell out to begin with, but they don't want the Rangers to come in yes. and, and have a louder presence. It's not just small towns that do this. It's insecure franchises. The Los Angeles Rams did this. Pretty big town, Los Angeles. They did this to keep the San Francisco 49ers fans out. Uh, the Washington football team doesn't do this because if they did this, no one would go to the games. <laughs> They're happy to sell anyone a ticket. Yeah, they, yeah, they don't have a suite any, level. They don't have fans watch on their the own. Play? So in order, yeah, watch out for the raw sewage beer. It's yeah. just awful. So in order to have anybody in the gym at all, they have to sell outside. <laughs> but you know these tickets. The face value is a hundred bucks, which is a pretty good deal for playoff tickets. Yeah. Um, and, and so now you have to go to the secondary market, um, SeatGeek, StubHub, sponsors for this show at some point or other. And the New York fans, I'm sure, you know, if they want to go to these games, they have to be looking at a big number because they have to stay overnight and they have to travel and, and all of that. They have to get a hotel. And they'll probably do it. They'll probably go to the secondary market. But I just, it's such a cheap stunt. Feels it's like it. just, the only way you can get a ticket is if your billing address is in North Carolina, South Carolina, or Southern Virginia, which the Hurricanes claim as their fan base. And if that was their fan base, they would sell a lot more tickets. Um, hockey is not. You don't grow up with hockey in North Carolina or South Carolina or Southern Virginia. I'm not against expansion of the NHL. I'm not against their team. I'm against the people who are so insecure that they do this. I think Tampa Bay has done this in baseball. I think they've done this in baseball. They don't sell out on their own, and they no. prevented other people from buying tickets. It's 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 it, it makes small. you look, it makes you look small. But small. I actually I like yeah. the idea. I think it's very fitting for hockey, though. A true hockey place would say we don't have to do that because we give it all to season ticket holders, and we're not selling it. The bigger issue is why would why would people in this zip code or this whatever the square box is, why would they then feel it's okay to turn a profit by selling it on Seeky? Because you are going to get those fans. Yeah. You get tons of them. I'm just well, I don't think you can legally prevent that. Yeah. I think you create a great opportunity for secondary marketeers. Yes. I think you do. I'm just thinking we had a, uh, I had a coworker up in New Jersey, the boarding school, and they moved down to Carolina. But imagine if you still had family or that connection to that tri-state area. Be like, no, we are true Hurricane fans, we just we happen to have that out of state card now, where we have those. If it's a family member who's coming in, I'm rooting for the Rangers now. I wasn't rooting for the Rangers <laughs> but before. Now I are. didn't care <laughs> right. before, but I'm rooting for the Rangers now, and I'm rooting for Igor Sisterkin to shut them out four in a row. <laughs> I'm rooting for that yeah. because this is a, a small minded, cheap stunt I'm by rooting. a bunch of goobers. <laughs> I did. Uh, I hope my, they just pan out and show a sixty percent filled state uh, yeah. arena. My Still copy was altered. Ads. I wasn't allowed to use the word bumpkin. <laughs> that was apparently considered a over, slur. Over the line. Over the line bumpkin. <laughs> I didn't realize that. But, you know. What it makes you think of the brilliant marketing move that La Suze, Susan O'Malley would do. When the, when the Wizards... I guess, Sell the other team. Yeah. Hey, would you like to see Kobe Bryant play? Sell the other yes. team. Yeah. Yeah. If your team is good enough, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you don't have to do it that. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. All right. We'll take a break. Uh, Andy Beyer. Yes. Right. When we return, we'll talk about the Preakness. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. I'll just read this. Your friend Paulie Coconut's here. I've been filling in on bass with a duo called Mission Road out of Harpers Ferry, West Virginia. I've enclosed two original songs that we play, both written by the band's keyboard player, Elliot Simon, and sung by the lovely and talented Christina Alexander. The first song, Keep On Doing," was recorded live at Prohibition Hub in Hagerstown, Maryland on April 30. I play bass on that track. We love Paulie Coconut. Yes, we do. It's called Keep On Doing." There'll be another song later, and it plays in the great Andy Byer. And let's, you know, we're going to talk about the Preakness, but you cannot talk about the Preakness without talking about the Kentucky Derby and the notion that the Kentucky Derby champion, Rich Strike, is not running. He's not running in the Preakness. Andy, are you surprised by this? Do you have an explanation by this? Are you charmed by this? Um, it, it, I'm, I'm not surprised because uh, uh, in the in the modern day, so many uh, trainers just elect to you know run in the Derby uh, and skip the Preakness, uh, or vice versa. I mean, you know, they they don't they generally don't like to bring horses back in you know in just two weeks uh, uh, for for two. Uh, very tough races, and uh, uh, so I mean, the, the, you know, it, it was a rational decision that Rich Strikes people made. You know, uh, the, the the flip side of the coin, one of his main rivals here, uh, early voting, uh, chose not to run in the Derby, uh, so he would be fresh for the Preakness. So that that's that's the modern day. But we should talk for a minute about the Kentucky Derby because it yes. was. One of the most unbelievable races you'll ever see. This is what I wanted you to explain what happened in the Derby and whether or not in your lifetime it's the greatest upset you have ever seen. Uh, I've reviewed my my memory files and I would consider it one of the two most inexplicable results that I've uh, I've ever seen in racing. One of them was uh, the victory of Mind That Bird uh, in the 2009 Derby, and the other the other was was Rich Strike. You can look at you can look at this horse's past performances till you're blue in the face and and uh, uh, you know and not see a glimmer uh, of logic behind him. I even made a, a little bet uh, uh, that he'd finish. Uh, that he'd finished twentieth in the field of twenty, uh, but um, uh, uh, you know it. Uh, uh, horses, you know, horses aren't machines, and sometimes they, you know, they, you know, they they will improve without notice, without you know an obvious explanation. It happens regularly in run-of-the-mill races, and it just it happens in the Derby. Uh, the uh, the uh, you know the, the you know the first reaction 
I think I had and most people had is, well, this is such a uh, this is such a fluke. Uh, that he'll never do it again. He'll finish last in the Preakness or wherever he runs. But then I thought back to the, you know, the other impossible long shot, uh, mind that bird, who uh, who won the Derby amazingly, came back in the Preakness and ran a tremendous race, big speed figure, you know, narrowly lost a photo finish to a champion. So. You know, horses can get good and then stay good. I wouldn't have thrown Rich Strike out in the in the Preakness, and I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be disgraced in the Belmont either. See, this is interesting. I have written down questions. My next question was to ask you, will he ever win another race? And then it was going to say, why even run him in the Belmont and devalue him? Why not? Why not say that's it? You're done right now. No, I, I would say devaluation is not an issue. I, I, let's say everybody is so is so disbelieving. I mean, my readers are not lining up, you know, to to syndicate Rich Strike for stud duty. I mean, he's mm-hmm. uh, uh, he's he's got to if if he comes back and. You know, wins the Belmont, or even you know, and runs credibly at it. Uh, that that will enhance his reputation. But uh, these people I see like this, seem to like the sport. I'm sure they'll run him all season as long as he stays healthy. There's a larger issue here that you alluded to. It has nothing to do with Rich Strike. It has to do with the fact that the Triple Crown is set up three races in five weeks. You win the Derby, you go two weeks. You win the Preakness, you go three weeks to the Belmont, which is a mile and a half. Um, is this, you know, if people don't send horses that win to the yeah. next race, Andy, do they have to change that? You can't change that. It's 150 years. You can't change well, it. Well, they, they they need to change it. I mean, there were some, you know, some, uh, I know that one, one of the issues in it with the Preakness was that, uh, you know, a f- f- former executive there told me was that they, they didn't want to move the race because that would move it back toward Memorial Day weekend, the start of beach season in Maryland, which would detract from all the, uh, you know, the screaming college ki- uh, kids, you know, getting yeah. drunk in the infield. But, I, you know, I think the, the timing has to be, uh, you know, has to be changed. And, uh, uh, you know, you could, uh, you know, you move the Preakness back one or two weeks and, you know, run the, uh, uh, you know, run, run the Belmont on the 4th of July, something like that. I mean, that, I mean, it, it, it's, this isn't rocket science, you know, to, you know, to change these dates. Okay. But, but the pre the preakness is just dead as a, as a serious razor. Not only did you know uh, did uh, Rich Strike uh, defect, but so you know so did uh, uh, so did the third place finisher Zandon, who would have been one of the favorites here. And, and you've got a pretty uh, uh, uninspiring field of nine. Yeah, Baffert's horses are both not in this. What happens to those horses, and what happens to the famous Tim Dacteen? Who did uh, not come through? Tim, uh, well, <laughs> uh, uh, I know I wasn't shocked that those that those horses uh, fa- failed in the Derby. You know the way the Derby was run, there was such a, a, a fast early pace. You know, set by a horse from Dubai who was like a you know just a tearaway sprinter. That all the horses close to the lead. Uh, 
collapsed. I mean, uh, you know, er- everybody in the race rallied. That's one of the reasons that Woodstrike uh, uh, was able to win. And, and the, the, the two Baffert horses were among the many that sort of got, got sucked up in the, in the hot pace. Okay. The race itself, the guy starts on the far right. He ends up on the far left. If you are Epicenter or Epicenter's rider or Epicenter's trainer, and you are passed on the rail in the last furlong, you have to say, what? How did this happen? I had this derby on my racket. How did this happen? Am I right, Andy? That was so weird. Yeah, I, it was. I don't think it was the, the fact of getting through on the rail that made a difference. I mean, you know, Epicenter he made a his move to the lead on the turn when he had to go around a couple horses. Uh, you know, he, you know, he, you know. I, you know, he he ran kind of a normal race, and and there were, there was no indication that you know that being on the rail was. Uh, uh, you know, it was a, was a, a big tactical advantage. It was just, I mean, but the jockey, uh, uh, you know, the, the you know the jockey on uh, uh, Rich Strike just ran an incredible race. I mean, it, it was uh, uh, it was quite something to see. I mean, Sandy Leon, to the rail. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, it was tremendous. Um, I'm I'm interested. You you thought the horse would finish last, so you didn't you didn't have one of those small moments where you said, "Ah, I'll put two bucks on this horse." Because no, the payout, the payout on the superfecta was incredible. Anybody who's celebrating the Derby said, "Well, I'll throw him in for a few dollars." No, I, right. I, nobody was making speeches about how they liked Rich Strike. So we're down from twenty horses to the in the Derby to nine in the Preakness, which is. Pretty common. Sometimes the Belmont has five or six. It, there is a winnowing of the field. Does that make it easier to handicap? Because now I'm going to ask you who you like. Uh, Epicenter is is definitely the horse to beat in this race. I'm, I'm kind of sorry the race came up so thin because he he was the best horse in the Derby. Uh, with that hot pace, everybody who was on or near the lead collapsed. Epicenter actually, you know, stocked the leaders. I mean, he made what now you now you could look at and say was maybe a little premature move as he uh, you know hit the gas to get the lead turning into the stretch. Uh, all the other horses who were there at the finish just made late runs, picking up the pieces. So I, I thought Epicenter ran a uh, a commendable race in the Derby. I mean, I, I wish he had some more more credible opposition because uh, I you know I would have if I could have gotten two to one or five to two on him, uh, you know, I, I would have made a bet, but he, he's going to be a, uh, a pretty strong favorite. All right. We will talk to you in, in front of the Belmont when apparently Rich Strike is going to run again, and maybe yep. we will get back into that drama because, as you say, but this is one for the ages. I mean, that horse, anybody who follows horse racing at all is still shaking his head, right? Right. And, and it, it really, it really seemed to captivate, uh, uh, you know, a lot of you know, a lot of people. I mean, you know, just you know, kind of national non-sports, uh, uh, you know, TV shows. Everybody was talking about about the Kentucky Derby because of this crazy horse. 
Well, they talked about that. They also talked about it because the, the guy on the outrider, the outrider on the pony, had to punch him in the face 10 or 12 <laughs> times to get him to stop eating the pony. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Andy, no. you must have seen that before, but I've never seen that. I can't remember it happening very often. <laughs> <laughs> very well. Thanks, Andy. Talk soon. Bye, Tony. Andy Byer is just the best. Just the best. We'll take a break. Steve Sands will join us when we return. He's, I believe, at the PGA, Southern Hills in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is sent to us by Paulie Coconuts. This is a song called I Used to Drink Whiskey um, by, what's the name of the band that he's with? Uh, Mission Road. Mission Road, that's right. He writes, the second song, I Used to Drink Whiskey, was recorded live at, and get this name, Mountaineer Meat Smokers in Martinsburg, West Virginia on May 7th. I wonder what they serve. Mountaineer <laughs> Meat Smokers. Robert Murphy is featured on the lap steel guitar. We're so grateful to Paulie Coconuts. Michael, if people like Paulie Coconuts want to send us their original music or music they're affiliated with with their friends, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com and maybe throw in a smoked turkey leg. Yeah, that would be good. We'd like to have that. Yes. So Steve Sands joins us now. Before we get to Sands, I'm going to read this. It says, while with other little sharing where they went to high school and the recent talk of Bruce Springsteen, I must share this connective tissue with you in the podcast. I went to Woodward High School in Rockville, Maryland. I'm a classmate and friend of two wonderful friends of the show. First on the list is Gary Braun. Gary was always one of the great guys in the school, although I can attest to his challenge with basic math. <laughs> Second was our very own real-life Bruce Springsteen, Steve Sands. Steve was our white t-shirt and blue jeans Jeep driving friend in high school. What many may not know is that Steve was likely the best place kicker in the school's history, and he was money from 45 yards out. He was always one of the good guys. I hope that knowing these two come from the same high school will help trump the fact uh, that so did Dan Snyder. <laughs> Additionally, I want to share what your show means to some of us out here. As a pastor, recently I was leaving the hospital after spending time with someone who had passed away. It was a devastating situation where I was able to be with this person as they shared their last breath. As I left the hospital, it was a little emotional, as you can imagine, and I needed an outlet to help take me some steps forward. So I tuned into your podcast here, Greg Garcia, break down the Longwood men's basketball team, and it made me laugh as I held back some tears. Your podcast makes a difference for some of us littles out here, and I wanted to make sure you were all aware. Blessing, Scott Bach Hansen, who is a pastor. I'm sure you know that name. I had no idea you were a place kicker. I had no idea. Well, <laughs> you never have mentioned that. Well, why would you? You know, it's amazing. You, you catch all these touchdown passes and all these kinds of things, and everybody remembers one kick you made in high school. <laughs> I wasn't a very good kicker, but I do remember Scott Bachanson. Absolutely remember. I did not know he's a pastor now. That's amazing. So wait, so you were a, a football player in high yeah, school? I played football, I played football and basketball, yeah. 
So and like did you? Our senior year in high school, if you really want to know this, if you really care. I do. Our senior year in high school, Woodward closed the year I, I graduated. So in 87 was the last year. W.J. Walter Johnson was the biggest rivalry. It was like maybe a homecoming game, whatever it was, biggest rivalry. Comes down to the end. I played soccer when I was a, a kid before you know going to high school. Um, and the coach always wanted me to kick field goals because, you know, Nobody else could kick field goals. I played soccer before I played football. And I made a kick against WJ uh, to win the game. Now, it takes a lot to get the ball down the field. It takes a lot. It takes a, a guy who snaps the ball, holds the ball. Steve Mead was the holder, and we made the kick. It, it's, a, it's a team effort, not an individual pursuit. So uh, I appreciate Scott Buck Hansen, uh saying that I was a good kicker, but I really wasn't that good. Did you, in fact, dress like Bruce Springsteen? Is that true? Uh, well, I wore a lot of T-shirts and jeans, uh, just like anybody else. I was a huge, I still am, and it, you know, Liz and I share this together, and you know this. I'm a massive Springsteen fan, always have been. And back then, um, you know, Bruce was, you know, like sports and, and music. Bruce was my music. Sports was my world. Uh, and Springsteen was my music, and uh, I don't know if I dressed like him or not, but <laughs> I did wear a lot of T-shirts. I did not uh, have any like goop in my hair, and like Brian Winhurst uh, was talking about yesterday, or anything <laughs> slick back hair. And, like, I didn't look like Springsteen. I don't know, but I did wear a lot of T-shirts. Yeah. This is wonderful when we find stuff out about people <laughs> like this after years and years and years. It makes me so happy. Well, you know what's funny is I was, when I was when I was back for the Wells Fargo Championship, I was talking to a couple of high school buddies of mine, and we were joking about the exact same thing. Is I guess they're rebuilding Woodward High School now. It's it's a big a hole in the ground now, right off of Old Georgetown Road. They're rebuilding a beautiful new high school now. And a buddy of mine was like, you know, this field goal, that field goal. I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. You catch touchdown passes. And run routes, and, and you're a cornerback, and you return punts and kicks. All they know, all they remember are you. Thirty five years later, is that you made one kick your senior year, and it was like you didn't play anything else. Play basketball too. Nobody cares. It's only about that one kick, which uh, which makes me laugh. It's nice. It's yeah, you, if you want, any time you can segue into glory days. If you want, you can do that. <laughs> it's just you can do that if you want. All right, with, with, Let me, with the with the baseball bit in my back pocket. Yeah. All right. Let's do. Uh, let's get to the subject at hand, which is the PGA, and let's get to the question at hand, which is Phil Mickelson. Uh, what do you hear? What do you hear about him? When, if at all, do you think he'll play again? Gosh, I don't know. I, I I thought for sure that this would be the best avenue for him to get back uh, into the fray. It's the most protected you can be is at a major championship in this sport. Um, there's a there's a little bit less access uh, at a major championship. I thought he would sit on the podium or stand behind a microphone, take sunglasses and hat off, and just take questions, get it over with, and go play the first round. Talk to the media one more time about it, and then that's pretty much it. Whether he makes the cut or not on Friday, uh, Phil Mickelson's back, and then here we go. And and he didn't do that. And I thought for sure this would be the best place for him to come back, but he's not ready yet, Tony. Um, it could be that Live Golf event on June 9th outside of London. If that is the first time he comes back into the world of golf publicly, that is going to cause a big ruckus because he probably will, will never play another PGA Tour event if that's the case. 
What do you think the odds are on that? I mean, he'll look, Phil Mickelson is not stupid. He'll weigh all this out in his mind. What do you think the odds are that he actually will do that? I mean, at this point, Tony, I, I, I think he might. Um, wow. Unless he just, unless he's just never going to play again, which I just can't imagine. Um, he'll, he'll be 51, let's see, 52. I, I just can't imagine that he would never play again. But with the PGA Tour, Tony, taking that hard line and not allowing its members, its players, to get a release to compete in that event beginning June 9th outside of London, if a PGA Tour member plays there, he is subject to suspension and, and maybe indefinitely. Um, or you can just leave the PGA Tour and go play in that you know, live golf series. Uh, which Phil could opt to do as well. I just, I just don't know. Honestly, I cannot think of what his on ramp is um, now that he didn't play in this event where he's the defending champion here in Tulsa. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where he's going to come back. So the book is out. The Shipnuck book is out. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if anything more is in it. I saw him the other day on the Golf Channel on live from. Uh, the PGA. I don't know if there's any scandalous thing in it, but there is some talk that that the gambler Billy, somebody or other, whose name I know you know, that he's writing a book and that he has scores to settle with Phil Mickelson. And then there was this thing the other day with Gary McCord that I read that was in the New York Post that Gary McCord would bet Phil Mickelson during games about whether he would make a putt or not uh, and throw money off the tower if Phil made the putt. To me, that's, you know, that's just part of the culture of golf. I mean, you know, throwing a $20 bill out of a tower because a guy made a 12-footer does not strike me as something you go to jail for. It's just nothing. But what, what is your sense of what is yet to come? Well, Billy Walters is the guy. Um, and, and Billy is a very famous sports gambler um, yeah. in Las Vegas. Um, maybe the biggest sports gambler uh, of his era. Um, out out in Las Vegas. Billy's book is going to be coming out shortly as well, and if Billy chooses to write some of the things that you know we heard uh, that he might write about last year when he started doing this, uh, those will be damaging as well uh, to Tiger. But the, the Gary McCord gambling Not to Tiger, to Phil. I'm yeah, but Gary McCord. You said to Tiger. You, you meant to Phil. It would be damaging to Phil. Yeah, okay. Uh, the Gary, excuse me, uh, the Gary McCord, you know, gambling thing. Who cares about that? I'm with you on that. That's yeah. golf gambling. Who cares? I, I think it's funny. Actually, I didn't know that. Having sat in that same seat in the booth uh, or in a tower with Gary McCord, I, I, I find that fascinating. Um, but the whole thing is just crazy, Tony. He's, he's an icon- I know you don't love that word, iconic. He is an iconic golfer, top ten player of all time. Uh, the oldest winner of a major championship. I heard you talking, uh, I think it was yesterday's show, uh, when you watched live from the night before, and Alan Shipman yeah. was on the set, and he conducted himself well, and Rich Lundner asked the right yep. questions, and then Brandel Champagne yes. and Brad Faction came on. The whole thing, the whole segment was fantastic television. Um, I, just, I just can't believe that this has taken place with Phil Mickelson. This isn't a random you know, professional golfer. This is you know, the second most popular player and best player of his generation, literally a top 10 player of all time, an an absolute legend in the sport. And he's just like vaporized. 
it's like gone. People talked about it on Monday and Tuesday. I don't think anybody's going to talk about it today at Southern Hills. And then moving forward the next four days, he's the defending champion, and, and no one no one is ever going to see him or hear from him. And it's, it's just sad. It's terrible. Um, I, I'll just say this briefly about the gambling stuff. Everybody sort of knows that Michael Jordan likes to gamble. Michael right. Jordan, whenever he wants to get in a golf game and you want to say, well, how much are we playing for? Michael Jordan famously says, whatever makes you nervous. <laughs> Michael Jordan can do that because Nike pays him and should pay him hundreds of millions of dollars a year because they don't sell a single shoe ever without Michael Jordan. So when you have these astronomical numbers being thrown around, you need to understand how much money certain people have. Phil Mickelson makes right. 50, 60, 80 million dollars a year on endorsements. You know, so if he if he gambles and loses 10 million dollars a year, it's shocking to all of us except it's not to him, right? Because he has that kind of money and that's what he likes to do. Barkley talks about this all. Barkley loves to gamble. You yeah, know, I mean it's question. just Listen, he, he probably makes somewhat I don't know from 2010 to 2014, but you know, there are recent numbers that have said Phil has made upwards of $50, $60 million a year. And let's see, in 2010, Tony, he won his third Masters, okay? So he was at the height of his popularity and earning potential. I'm not saying that losing $10 million a year for four consecutive years in gambling is a good thing. But when you no. make $60 million a year and you lose $10 million, that's one-sixth, right, of your of your salary. If you make a hundred grand a year and somebody goes out and, and, you know, loses, you know, somewhere between seven and $15,000 of that hundred thousand in gambling, you probably wouldn't go bananas. You hear 10 million a year for four straight years and you go bananas. So context does matter. I agree with you. Uh, yeah. All right. Let me get off Phil for a second and get to tiger. Um, Wilbon, of course, expects Tiger to fail miserably in this, but Wilbon didn't even think Tiger would get out in the Masters. Uh, what are your Wilbon expectations for voted, Tiger? Wilbon also voted Devin Booker second in the MVP second. race, evidently. Three baskets at home. <laughs> <clears throat> Three baskets. Game seven yeah. at home. Nice job. Uh, what are your Oof. expectations for Tiger? <laughs> you know, somebody was asking me last night about this. I don't think he's going to make the cut. Um, I just... I don't know. I don't know why I think that. It's a different cut to make than the Masters, Tony. There are not 89 players in the field. Um, best field in golf. It's the best field. 150, 156 players are here. Take away the 20 because of the club pros. Um, I'm not poo-pooing them, but they're, they're not, they don't have a chance to win this thing. Um, that's 136 players. It's a lot different than 89 players, which you play against at Augusta. Uh, it's a a big golf course. Um, It's going to be demanding. The wind is going to be way up on Friday, especially in the afternoon. Tiger's playing early, late, early Thursday, late Friday, which with the forecast doesn't look like the better side of the draw. It doesn't look like you want to be on the golf course in the afternoon, late on Friday because of the weather. Um, I don't know. I, I just... I don't have high expectations for him. He has not played a lot of tournament golf, Tony, obviously. Um, I know he played those four days at Augusta, and he's stronger now. Uh, His ball speed's up, and that's good. Uh, I just think that there's a rust factor when you're playing against the best players in the world uh, on a golf course where you're not as familiar like you are at Augusta National. So I, I do not have high expectations for Tiger this week. 
if he were, you know, if he doesn't make the cut, that's not progress. What would you consider progress for Tiger Woods at the end of this tournament? Progress would be making the cut and and somewhat competing, saying like a top 20, uh, that kind of thing. At Augusta, Mm -hmm. he played pretty well the first couple of days, Tony. Remember, he shot 71 that first day. Uh, And then on the weekend, he just ran out of gas. Um, physically and mentally, uh, putted terribly. That that's a mental thing uh, because he was so tired physically. He just lost his concentration mentally. Uh, shot a pair of seventy eights. Has never putted that poorly at a major, uh, let alone Augusta, uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Progress to me would make the cut like he did at Augusta, and then play better on the weekend. You know, not get tired. Uh, not these are all things that you would expect to happen based upon uh, where he's been and where he is now. Um, but to not get tired, to be able to finish out four days and see your your play on the rise, as as opposed to seeing it fade away. Because let's face it, he wants to play it in Boston in a couple of weeks, in a few weeks um, at Brookline for the U.S. Open, and then the real, yeah. real, real shot at winning a major this year would be at St. Andrews, which is in two months. Um, and he, he needs to see some progress, and that would be progress. If, if he played better on the weekend uh, than he did at Augusta and that he could, the stamina was back. Uh, so we have talked about Tiger and Phil, who are unlikely to win this tournament, one not playing, one maybe doesn't make the cut. Uh, of the more contemporary golfers of the golfers who might win, I assume that the greatest amount of pressure in this might be on Scotty Scheffler, coming out of the Masters, hasn't really played since then. I, well, I guess he played last week. I assume the pressure would be on him. Is he the guy that people want to look at, or, or do we just think, no, it's on different players? Yeah, I think it's on different players. I don't think people are looking at him just yet, Tony. If he, if he wins this week, look out. Now, now you're talking about a guy who's not just on a heater. You're talking about a guy who's literally you know progressing to the point of, of, of pure greatness. People don't win back-to-back majors in this sport often, uh, if he does that this week, then we'll be talking about him way more uh, at the U.S. Open next month outside of Boston at Brookline. Um, I think people who will succeed this week um, based upon the way the golf course is set up are people who have the best short games. Scotty happens to have a fabulous short game. Um, I just don't see him winning back-to-back majors. I, Mm -hmm. I see... You know, other guys are performing well here. Um, I think John Rahm is perfectly suited for this golf course. Jordan Spieth has a chance, Tony, to become the sixth player in the history of the sport to win the career Grand Slam this week. He's won each of the other three one time. His last major win was at Birkdale, the Open Championship uh, over in England, and that was in 2017. But his last two starts, Tony, he has a win at Hilton Head and a runner-up finish last week. Last week almost doesn't count because it was such a shootout. You know, you normally would never see that at a major championship or, or an event, which the golf course, you know, was a little bit more difficult. But he still was a runner-up last week. His short game is ridiculously great. If the putter cooperates, he's hitting the ball beautifully. If the putter cooperates, Tony, Jordan Spieth has a great chance uh, this week. And he's playing alongside Tiger. And Rory McIlroy tomorrow morning at nine eleven Eastern time. Uh, how about that for a, a grouping on the first day of the major uh, championship? Spieth trying to win the career Grand Slam. 
McElroy trying to get himself back into the fray of the best players in the world in a major championship. He has a 1-1 in eight years. And, of course, the circus that is Tiger. Uh, that is, There's going to be a lot of energy on the ground uh, here in Tulsa tomorrow morning. That's interesting because those guys can handle that. There yep. are other golfers who would be unnerved by playing with Tiger, and those guys will be fine, right? They'll be fine with that. Totally agree. And, and, and Tiger has made it that way, Tony. We've talked about this before, me and you, on and off the air. Yeah. Um, you know, when Tiger was at his best, you know, he pummeled Phil and Ernie and VJ and David Duvall and Retief Goose and all those guys, and I mean iced them on the golf course, never made them comfortable, never made them feel as if he even realized that anyone else was in the group. Nowadays, Tiger's much more congenial, much more emotional on the golf course, much more acknowledging of the people and the guys he's playing with because he's allowed himself to get much closer to today's players. He's kind of like the big brother to all these guys, especially the South Florida guys who live in that Jupiter area where he lives. Spieth will be very comfortable in that group. Might not play great, but he'll be very comfortable because Tiger will allow him to be comfortable. And McElroy, the same thing. McElroy was there, remember, when uh, all the fans were coming down at East Lake on the 18th hole in that final round when Tiger won for the 80th time in his career on the PGA yeah. Tour of the Tour Championship. Rory played in that group with Tiger and said he learned a lot that day and also learned how to become more comfortable with Tiger in the same group that particular day. So Rory and, and Jordan will be perfectly fine on Thursday and Friday. They might not play great, but it won't be because they're uncomfortable. They'll be perfectly comfortable with Tiger on Thursday and Friday. Thank you, Stephen. And next time we see you, we'll get a football out. We'll just have you kick for us and we'll film it. It'll be great. I, I don't think I could even get an extra point over the bar right now at my uh, age 53. But you, you know. never know. You never know. Scott Bach Hansen with, a, with an email. Wow. Yeah, Who's forgetting good. that name? Wow. Um, thank you, Steve. Steve Sands, boys uh, and girls. You got it. We'll take a break. Uh, we will have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Makes me so happy. That's the actual Mizzou marching band. It just makes me so happy. Nigel, you want to do a Bethesda Bagel? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com, forward a location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Love the lyrics today. Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell. And there's no one there to raise them if you did. And all this science I don't understand. 
it's just my job five days a week, and then you sit back and you hear Elton John go, Rocket Man. <laughs> yes. Thanks to our guests today, Andy Byer and Steve Sands. Thanks to today's sponsors, Freshly and Sunday. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. I'm going to read a very long email now because I do think it's worth it. Michael, don't we think this is worth sure. it? This is about the great zucchini. It comes to us from Eric Henning. It says, it's Eric Henning who would love to be the official parlor magician of the Tony Kornheiser show with my very own David Aldrich moment. Careful what you offer. <laughs> Not only do I know Eric Knaus, a.k.a. the great zucchini, but I co-wrote his very first book for professional entertainers, Kid Show Rockstar. I can tell you a couple of things about the great zucchini, and I realize I'm adding parenthetically. This is so local, but I'm taken by it. First of all, he is the most successful children's entertainer in the United States and has been for some time. He books up months in advance. In fact, if you live in any of the better neighborhoods in the D.C. area and you do not have the great zucchini at your child's birthday party before they start kindergarten, child services will come and take your children away. It's the law. What is zucchini's secret? He's a 50-year-old toddler. He bonds with toddlers and preschoolers because he knows how they think. Watching him with kids is astonishing. He gets their sense of humor. Sometimes the parents don't understand what he's doing, but they always appreciate that the kids love him. I have a story that illustrates this. One day I got a panicked phone call from Zucchini. Eric, I need you to cover a show for me. My car broke down on I-95 and I can't get there. I said okay and I headed to the Potomac Community Center for a four-year-old girl's birthday party. On the way, he called me again and said he had a ride and he was about 20 minutes behind me. When the mother came out and saw that I was not the great Zucchini, she turned ashen. I said to her, I've got good news and bad news. Zucchini's car broke down, but he's only about 20 minutes behind me. She began breathing again and the blood returned to her face. When she told the kids that the great Zucchini was not going to be there on time, there erupted a wail that I can only describe as the kind of keening that must be present at a Joycean Irish wake. I've never heard anything like it and I pray I never will again. Then she told him he would be there and the cheer that went up sounded like V.E. Day. Now, at that point, I'd been entertaining children professionally for about 30 years, and I thought I knew my stuff. I was about to get schooled. I did my show for about 20 minutes and was keeping the kids happy. Everything's going fine, and then Zucchini shows up. Picture this. He's covered in sweat, dirt, and grease from trying Enter to fix his man. car. His T-shirt is torn. He's wearing gym shorts with dirty socks and sneakers. He's dragging a huge suitcase that's missing a wheel, so it's scraping against the floor. He looked like somebody had taken a hobo off a rail car and told him to do a kid's party. We turned the page. But the kids all knew him, and when they saw him, it was as if Jack Kennedy, Barack Obama, and Jesus had all showed up in the same room at once. They went nuts. I stepped aside and watched him mesmerize these kids for 20 minutes with his wonderful physical comedy, and then another 20 minutes playing games. It was astonishing. And that's when I knew I had to learn from this guy. Isn't that great from that's, Eric Henning? That's tremendous. That's just great. Love it. Um, yeah, let's get to a couple of other things here. From Matt Rousset in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. That is the home of Lawrenceville Prep, where Bob Ryan ran, if I'm not oh. mistaken. Dear Mr. Tony, I heard you say that if a player on the Nats wore, wears number 58, he won't be around for long. Don't be so dismissive. Former team chemistry leader Jonathan Papelbon <laughs> wore number 58, so even if this new guy in 58 isn't around much, it's still worth watching to see if he chokes Juan Soto. <laughs> it's a great email. I did not know that. Jason Fish, Broomfield, Colorado. As a resident adjacent to Arvada, Colorado, let me say the second A is pronounced like it is in hat. Second, let me be one of the first littles to welcome the great John Fitzpatrick to the Mile High region. Hopefully we'll get to see him at the next Ed Butt Happy Hour. Again, we wish John all the luck in the yes. world. From Carl in Oswego, New York. I am fact-checking the Syracuse Post standard. 
Attached is a picture used in the Sunday paper that is captioned Felix Cavalieri, Dino Danelli, Eddie Brigatti, and Gene Cornish are the rascals. Can you confirm that these are the correct <laughs> rascals? Apparently, Felix has just published his memoir, and he attended Syracuse University at the same time as Jim Beheim. Don't tell Saliza. From Dave Kroll. Not Dave Grohl. Not Dave Grohl. Dave Kroll from Syracuse, New York. My sister and her significant other related by marriage have a beautiful home in Cooperstown, New York that they rent out every year during induction weekend. It sleeps 10 and it's always rented by an incoming inductee for their family to stay in because, as you know, the inductees stay at the Otisaga Hotel. This year, Tim Kirchin's family is staying there. Does this count as a David Aldrich moment? Also, they have a register book there that all the players sign, like Ricky Henderson, John Smoltz, Ken Griffey Jr. So what's the over-under? Mr. Kirchin signs it. Also, I will let Sis know to stock the house with avocados. Yep, leave a I, bowl. Yeah. <laughs> I drink coffee, not tea. Maybe that's why I stink getting out of the sand as well. From John Donnelly in Enfield, New Hampshire, did the Kentucky Derby winner start a new trend of officials punching champions just after victory? Going forward, will the butler cabin ceremony include Fred Ridley looking to get in some licks? Will Gary Bettman deliver a beatdown before handing over the Stanley Cup? I'll hang up and listen. From Pat Murphy, my name is Pat Murphy. I'm a biology teacher from Downers Grove, Illinois. I've been listening to your show for a while now. It's one of my favorite parts of the day. We're studying evolution in class right now. We're on the topic of Kiktalic, one of the coolest transitional species to be discovered. Kiktalic, I don't know this, is hypothesized to be one of the first organisms to move with four limbs on land and whom all other four-limbed organisms are related to. Discovered by Neil Shubin of the University of Chicago. I got to see him talk at our school a while back. back. Just thought you'd like a little science. If there's not already an official biology teacher at the Tony Kornheiser Show, I'd love to be considered. Here's hoping the White Sox get it done this year. You can do this. I was not a good biology student. No, biology for for non-majors, right? Yeah, I was a... Yeah. From Brett Raise Boyle. <laughs> from Brett Boyle in St. Louis. On Monday's show, on last Monday's show, Chuck Culpepper mentioned the only person he came across who bet on Rich Strike in the Derby was a woman who said she did so because she, quote, felt sorry for him that no one else was betting on him. Who knew Phil's mom is now handicapping the horses? <laughs> um, sad news from Baskin Robbins, sent to me by David Morris in Charlotte, oh, North this Carolina. Is, yeah, this is confirmation. And it says that the Baskin Robbins officially, because he wrote, I'm trying to find Baskin Robbins Dunkin' Coffee flavor ice cream. Is that anywhere in stock? I'm in Charlotte, but I have family in Washington. Thanks. And the response was, hi there. So sorry to inform you, but this flavor has been discontinued in grocery stores. Got to continue so it again. So now there's no point of me even going to the, no. in the, in, you know, in the refugee safeway, even looking through Dunkin' Donuts. From our friend Jeff Pickett in West Des Moines. While I have never opened for the Who, I did once sing the national anthem a cappella at an Iowa Cubs game. Uh, Cubs pitching coach Jerry Royce. Yes, that Jerry Royce said good job. <laughs> From Mary Fay, applying to be the official librarian of the Tony Kornheiser show. I once saw Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn in a restaurant in Concord, Massachusetts. Never revere. They were there filming the movie House Sitter. I freaked out and said something like, Steve Martin, I love you. I saw you in Austin, Texas in 1977. So embarrassing for me. And one more from Mitchell. This is Mitchell May from Erie, Pennsylvania. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you don't remember me as it's been 618 days since my last email in which I provided a detailed explanation of how to properly fold a slice of pizza. At the end of the instructions, I asked to be the official Division Three tennis play of the show, to which you responded, sure. I figure you have been anxiously awaiting an update, and I'm here to provide one for you. My teammates and I were able to win the AMCC tournament for the first time since 2012 this year. I went undefeated with my partner at first doubles in conference and also made the all-conference 
first team at first doubles and second singles, as well as earning MVP. With winning the AMCC, and I have no idea what that is, what conference that is, we get an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. Our region is conveniently being played at Mary Washington in Fredericksburg, which is only about an hour from D.C. So if you have nothing to do on Friday at 2, come and watch us. What is the AMCC? Uh, anyway, congratulations to Mitchell May from Erie. Allegheny Mountain Collegiate Conference. There you go. It's D3. Yes. I assume it's D3. I'm guessing that would Wonderful. be. Wonderful. Yes. Good for him. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. I'm going to solve. All right. Corno Curl Cabinet. No, dope. Thank you. 
Say.